If you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. And we've been there in fantasy football leagues. Sunday morning, whether you're digging through news reports, trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hamstring, or you have a player who just isn't getting into the end zone. And then one week he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff, so what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to an undisclosed location better known as my brother-in-law's i don't know what you call this a rumper room i don't know what you call a room where you have a foosball table a tv and a treadmill all here ready to go uh living amongst the elite here in menlo park california the heart of silicon valley here what i noticed more than anything i don't know if anybody um is familiar with the Bay Area that much, but I grew up in California, grew up in Southern California, um, and spent my college years and slightly thereafter up in Northern California. And the thing I think has changed quite a bit, or else when I went to school at Berkeley, Berkeley is just quite a bit different than the Silicon Valley area. Because let me tell you, now that we're talking about some money, some moolah, some of the biggest movers and shakers in U.S. industry and relevance amongst the Silicon Valley types here. Now that we're talking about a lot of that happening in this neck of the woods, there's a there's a good degree of superficiality out here that I was not necessarily expecting hitting the mean streets of uh, Palo Alto yesterday, uh, having lunch with good friend of mine, friend of the pod, Sam Schwartzstein, who you may know as someone who worked with the XFL. He's going to be working with Amazon this year on their Thursday night broadcast. He was an NFL player, um, not an NFL player, excuse me, a college football player at Stanford here, uh, played with Andrew Luck. So we, we got into a lot of good talks there at lunch, and that was enjoyable for him. Looking forward to the Thursday night broadcast and what Amazon's going to bring to the table this year. Okay, let's get out of the preamble here. Let's get out of the talk of what's going on with me, unless you want to hear about how uh, COVID is nuking my family currently. But you don't. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Um, So let's get into the football, the preseason football, what everyone wants to hear about, what everyone wants to know about, what everyone lives and dies by, what happens in the good old preseason of the NFL. Last week, I had a similar format on Mondays, focusing mostly on the skill positions, mostly on quarterbacks, mostly on younger players that it's going to matter for. So I'm going to do that again, looking through the week two results. And I have to say that while everyone will say the preseason doesn't quote unquote matter, I went through 
some stats last week for quarterbacks showing that there is, you know, a noisy but slight correlation between preseason stats and how they perform in the regular season for younger quarterbacks. And there was an interesting thread that came out um, and was commented on by a friend of the pod, uh, Ben Baldwin here, where he was really going into, and let me bring this up on, let me focus in a little bit here. I'll bring it up for those watching on YouTube, on Twitter here, about there was a, a thread about how preseason results are predictive to a point. Now, very, very noisy, but predictive. And this was by, I'm going to butcher his name here, but I'm going to say Kostya Medvedovsky. That's my, uh, that's my Russian there for anyone who needs it. Where he had found stuff in the past, he does mostly NBA work. He had found stuff in the past that the preseason was predictive for the NBA. And he found similar results in the NFL and has a big long thread going through all the different information where basically he was looking at your point differential in the preseason. If you add that to um, Vegas over under win total expectations, if you add that into a model predicting how many wins a team will actually have during the regular season, that your predictions got better if you added point differential, Pythagorean, what they call Pythagorean win total which is an expected win percentage based upon point differential. If you add that from the preseason to the offseason, I'm just going to restate this, offseason NFL win totals for teams, you use that to predict the actual win total, the prediction gets better adding what happens in the preseason. So I know, oh, the Ravens have won, you know, a billion straight preseason games. No, I think it's actually at 22 straight right now. And everyone wants to poo-poo it. And I think, yeah, it doesn't matter a lot. And But a lot of things in the NFL aren't extremely predictive. A lot of things are very, very noisy in the, in the NFL. So it does have some effect. It does have some effect. And if you look at uh, the numbers as, as Baldwin uh, put them out here, if you look at the point differential in the preseason and the regular season for the last, let me see here, for the last 20 years, he's looking at 2000 through 2019. So it doesn't include the last couple of years, but still good enough in here. There is a slight correlation. Those teams who were awful in the preseason did tend to have a negative point differential on average in the regular season. Those teams that were good in the preseason have a negative point differential on average in the regular season. Now, a couple factors I think may have made this reaction even a little bit more um, less, I should say less pronounced now than what we've seen in the past. And one of the factors is that starters are not playing as much here. You figure you're going to get the most signal from starter on starter matchups in the preseason is what's really going to be driving the actual signal here. So we are seeing that less often. The Rams famously do not play any starters anymore. The Chargers, I believe, are, have never played Justin Herbert and probably will not play him again this year. So more and more teams are going that direction, although we do see other teams like the Bills and the Chiefs where Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are coming in and just torching people here in the preseason, giving us some predictive quality for what we may see in the regular season. So like a lot of things in football, before you – say, ah, but it's the preseason. Of course, most people say, ah, but it's the preseason. They're saying that because it's something that they don't agree with. If it's something they agree with, they're like gung-ho for everything that happens in the preseason, right? So before you say, you, you don't fully discount anything. You don't say some guy is, I'm right in my evaluation. Some guy is fantastic because the preseason, like most things in football, and when it comes to football data, 
The preseason matters, but probably not that much. So you should account for it, but not have high confidence in it. And I think that's the best way to look at what we're seeing in the preseason so far. All right. Um, Let's get to some of the stats here that we can go over for the week. Again, I'm going to concentrate on skill position players with a pretty intense focus on what's going on with guys who are, you know, up and coming quarterbacks, potential quarterback battles that we're talking about here. So let's get to it here. Um, First, let's start at quarterback. And I put together some numbers for all the different quarterbacks, all the different young quarterbacks here. And let me see if I can bring up some of these on here so you can take a look at it. Basically looking at their grading, their big-time throw rate, turnover-worthy play rate, their adjusted net yards per attempt, which is a strong metric to look at the stat side of things as opposed to the grading side of things, where it looks at yards, passing yards, minus sack yards, bonuses for touchdowns, negatives for interceptions, divided by total dropbacks, also throwing scrambling in there. Um, looks at their A dot, so their average depth of target. And then the last thing that it looks I'm looking at here is looking at their time to throw and the the average depth of target and the time to throw along with sack rate, high correlation between, between all of these different things, what you'll end up finding um, that you can really see the difference there quite a bit where longer time to throw higher sack rate. Again, quarterbacks control their own sack rate a lot more than people suspect. And that's something that has to be accounted for. And I think it's especially good to account for it if we're talking about what's going on with Kenny Pickett, because Pickett has become a little bit of a darling, I would say. Not a, you know, not a huge darling or something like that, but a little bit of a darling for what we have seen him do so far in the preseason. And I think that he has been pretty strong so far, but we have to account for the factors of what type of offense that they're running there and whether or not we want to see and give a lot of credit to guys who may not have as much quote unquote upside when we're talking about how they have performed versus how they could be performing later on. Again, these things are very, very noisy when we're talking about what's going on in a handful of preseason snaps versus what's going on, what will happen in the regular season. But it's probably not something that we can fully discount and fully ignore as part of this here. Okay, so let's bring up some of the numbers so we can get a good look at exactly what is is happening with these guys here. Okay, let's bring this up. Sorry for the delay because I want to make sure everyone can take a look at this. Um, Okay, so the numbers here for uh, Kenny Pickett. Let's start with the numbers here for Kenny Pickett. And I'm going to bring this up in the form of some stuff that I tweeted out earlier today. So for, for Kenny Pickett, he has the highest grade of any of the young 
quarterbacks that we've seen so far. The highest grade for anyone that we've seen so far. And what is underneath that grade, though, when we dig a bit further into that grade, is the fact that he's been running a very similar offense so far to what we saw with Ben Roethlisberger last season. So his time to throw 2.53 is ranks as of now as being one of the fastest time to throws in all of the, the preseason. If you look at the numbers there, um, it is in the top 10. If you want to rank time to throw as being good, it's in the top 10 numbers for what you're going to see from anyone in the preseason so far. In fact, it is ranking at number eighth right now for what he's doing. And his average depth of target is 59th of 67 quarterbacks who have at least 20 dropbacks so far in the preseason. So it really is something that very low depth of target, very quick time to throw. Roethlisberger had the second lowest depth of target last season. He had the fastest time to throw last season. So Pickett, very similar in that way. Now, he hasn't had any big-time throws so far, but he also hasn't had any turnover-worthy plays. And if you look at his efficiency, again, adjusted net yards per attempt, he has the highest efficiency so far of these different rookie quarterbacks. So I think with Pickett, it's a little bit of a continuation. What we saw in Week 2 is a little bit of a continuation we saw in week one, which is operating the offense. Well, he went eight of nine for 106 yards and a touchdown. So he had the stats there from that perspective, but really picking his way down the field, only 32% of his passes this season have been beyond the sticks, which is a very, very low number. So quick decisions, which you like to see from a rookie, the question is going to be, and I think this aligns with some of the questions you may have had with Pickett going into this, what sort of upside do we have with him? Um, arguably you could say that I'm going to skip Brock Purdy here because, you know, props to Brock for having the second highest, uh, PFF grade here, but I don't think he's much of a threat to do much this season with Trey Lance there. And not that Skylar Thompson is a threat, uh, the third guy here to really do something being behind currently on the depth chart behind Tua and behind Teddy Bridgewater. But I just think he's a really, really interesting prospect. He's an older guy, older than only a year younger than Tua, I think, right now, despite the fact that Tua is entering his third year in the league. He's an older guy. But what we've seen from him is not only does he have the grade, but 4% big-time throw rate, which is very, very high, one of the highest so far this this this, this season. 1% turnover-worthy play rate, so pretty low there. Almost the same efficiency from an adjusted net yards per temp perspective as Kenny Pickett. Higher uh, average depth of target and still a pretty quick time to throw. So he was making some real kind of big time throws down the field that we didn't quite see as much with, uh, with Pickett. Um, a couple of them that, that you ended up seeing there were really like masterful throws down the field that you're going to rarely see. Now I know it's against third string and always against other places, but I still think Thompson's an interesting guy to keep in mind because of the fact that Tua is unproven 
and this is no, not fully make or break year, but if you have three bad years or three average-ish sort of years as a quarterback with all the new talent that they've added, all the new, not only Tyreek Hill, but at the offensive line and other places, a pretty good defense is going there. A new coach is going in here. You just, we'll see if Tua can execute these throws down the field in the same way that Skyler Thompson was able to do in limited in limited play. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he was nine of 10 and the one incompletion was a drop. But still, we're talking about 10 pass attempts in this last game. Um, but he also played the, almost the entire game in week one, and he was strong there. So I think he's an interesting guy, at the very least, to be a backup quarterback. And if things really go off the rails this year, maybe even as a seventh-round pick, he can get a little bit of a shot to potentially do something this season. Um, look at some of the other rookies that we're talking about here. Bailey Zappi, I don't know how much you really care about him playing behind Mac Jones this year. Probably not a ton, but he's been okay. Actually, high turnover with the play rate. If you look at Zappi, he plays a little bit. I would say Taylor Heineke might be my comp for him because he plays a little bit gunslinger-ish. You know, higher average depth of target, higher big-time throw rate, but also high turnover with the play rate. I think that fits in with exactly who he's been this season. Malik Willis. Let's look at Willis. His grade hasn't been that great, 57 0.5 big time throw rate pretty good near four percent so that kind of aligns with having a strong arm which you'd which you'd see and then not a lot of turnover worthy plays but the thing is efficiency has not been there and time to throw 4.26 time to throw no one in the nfl had a time to throw last season over 3.5 only one other quarterback in any game this preseason has had a time to throw above 3.5 and it was 3.57 both of willis's games his time to throw which also accounts for scrambling and accounts for taking sacks both of those games his time to throw has been over four so he's had an enormous number there for his time to throw and he's just not executing the offense and that's why he got pulled in week one i mean we'll see if he gets pulled again uh going forward but if you look at what he's been doing, I mean, he's scrambling about 18% of dropbacks, and then he's taking a sack on about 14% of dropbacks. So we're talking about 32% of the time that Malik Willis, so far in the preseason, has been going back to pass. About a third of every time he goes back to pass, he doesn't pass the ball. He either runs it with a scramble or he takes a sack. Very much issues that we saw with him before. Um Ritter's grade was a little bit lower than what you would have thought. Uh, high turnover they play rate, although they didn't end up bothering him in that game because of the fact that he, um, he, he threw an interception that didn't end up counting because of a penalty, and then it was a dropped pick six. But, you know, decent numbers. He's pushed the ball down the field. He's looked pretty good so far. Corral was awful, and RIP Corral as someone who I liked coming into this season. This is good for me, I'd say, that I don't have to <laughs> – don't have to deal with him having another poor preseason performance and then looking at this guy who I was touting somewhat be so awful I mean no big time throws 12% turnover worthy play rate barely was able to accomplish anything there now mind you he was getting in at the end of games pretty poor protection everything else is happening there but now with this Liz Frank injury I mean who knows his NFL career could be over for Corral already which is a little bit disconcerting for the Panthers who traded up for him I mean, not that you write someone off that quickly, but, you know, a day two pick who doesn't really get any chance to do anything as a rookie, whose one sample that we've seen out on the field was bad. 
um, it, it could be a little bit tough moving forward, especially if everyone's cleared out in Carolina and they decide to draft another quarterback going into the season. I mean, we'll see what happens, but that could that could also happen for him. And then Howell, you know, we, we saw he ran really well, um, didn't really have uh, – he had some turnover-worthy plays, and he was pretty good, I think, generally, although his grading doesn't necessarily reflect as good as people thought that he was in that in that season. So not a lot to build on. I think Pickett, though, we're going to go back to Pickett really quickly. There is no reason, absolutely no reason, that he should not be, I think, starting week one instead of Trubisky. We've seen enough of Mitchell Trubisky to know who he is. Let's remember, he played all the way through those years in in the with the Bears. I mean, not you know 100% of the time, but at least on and off. He's given us no good sample of play from a grading perspective. He had decent stats in his second year. And... The, the reason you wouldn't necessarily go with the rookie is you don't want him to get hurt. You don't want him to make a bunch of mistakes. And so far this season, Pickett, zero turnover-worthy plays, very fast decision-making for what he's doing and showing the ability to move around. I mean, Trubisky had that one play last week where he was like spinning around three times in a circle before hucking the ball down the field. He's not going to give you steady play there. I would turn it over immediately to Pickett, who's also an older rookie. I mean, he played through his super senior season. So he played through five years of uh, in college. It's not like he's a underclassman coming out who needs to figure out what's going on here. He fits the guy. He should be starting week one. What Tomlin does on that or not, what Tomlin decides on that, I guess we'll end up seeing. But I hate it when teams stick to the plan, if they have a plan to start a – um, to start a veteran, give them a bunch of reps, assuming that they're going to be starting them that, that year. And then once the fire starts to fly a game or two into the season, they see that it's not working. They pull the plug and then they throw the rookie in there who they could have been giving that much more time, that much more practice time, that many more reps to already there. Um, not a great offensive line, but he has the ability to work around that. And his receivers, we're talking about Pickett. I mean, we're talking about, I'm sorry, Pickens, who's obviously looked great as a rookie. But even Claypool and Deontay Johnson, he had a little bit of connection going on with Deontay Johnson that last game. He has weapons to work with there that he can use with his mobility, I think, to negate some of the problems with the offensive line. Pickett should be starting. Pickett should be starting week one. We'll see what ends up happening, but I don't think that we're going to see him start week one, at least. All right, before we get on to the other skill positions uh we're going to talk about our friends at manscape gentlemen all men strive for gold in their life right gold medals gold watches gold everything however there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile he walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger he's a big hairless winning machine and when he unzips his pants he sees platinum that's right manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet the platinum package 4.0 Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand-new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. 20% off, free shipping, code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. All right. Familiar theme, I would say, with the running backs and what we saw with the quarterbacks here for takeaways that are relevant here, not just for fantasy football, but also for who may actually start. I mean, I have a, I have a better 
sense of diagnosing these skill position players. I'm going to cop to the fact that I'm not going to be able to diagnose the guys who are playing on the line. If you want to go and, you know, follow uh, the Schwartz brothers uh, or Duke Merriweather or, or whoever is on the uh, O-line Twitter, go ahead and follow those guys. I'm sure they'll give you some, some good pancake blocks to look at for the offensive line here, but let's talk about the money guys. Let's talk about the skill position players. Talk about the guys we can bet on and we can play in fantasy football. Uh, I highlighted Damian Pierce last week as having the highest grade of the week. He didn't play this week, which caused some consternation initially. And then later it was reported that the reason he didn't play, and I believe Aaron Wilson reported this from Pro Football Network, the reason he didn't play was that the Texans have kind of decided he's already the guy. He's already the starter there. Now, competition was Marlon Mack and you know Rex Burkhead. So it wasn't like he's vaulting over the greatest of players there. But for a fourth-round rookie, you just do not see that very often. I've been high on him all summer. I've been drafting him in best ball drafts. I liked what we saw from him last year because it confirmed what we saw from him in college, which was he was the highest-graded rushing running back in college on lower volume um, in his last season. So it confirmed all that. And he can also catch the ball. I don't know if we're going to see him in that role initially from, from day one, but it sounds like the early down work is a bigger back who's running well. Damian Pierce seems to have that locked up for, you know, what'll be probably be a pretty poor offense there for the, uh, for the Texans. I think the bills running back situation has to be addressed here. And I'm not going to get two running backs don't matter or dunking on teams for drafting running backs, but Devin Singletary played well in this game. Zach Moss played well in this game. Um, Duke Johnson, former third round pick. Duke Johnson came in. Moss Singletary, former third round picks. We're talking about a collection of day two picks, which are fairly high. Now, obviously, the Bills didn't spend the day two pick on Johnson, but we're still talking about a collection of day two picks who we know that running back performance is very dependent upon offense, offensive scheme, offensive line. And they had a flash from Singletary at the end of last year that he was playing well. Yet they still used their second round pick on James Cook, who, you know, he looks great. Maybe he can do more in the passing game, which seems like they were very concerned about because they made that offer for J.D. McKissick, but I'd be a little bit concerned now that Cook may not step immediately into that sort of role because Singletary was playing all the snaps with Josh Allen, and he looked good again, as he did to end last season. And, God, I just wish from from a, a fan perspective for the Bills, I mean, Cook could be fun to watch. You know, he, he could be a great player to watch and could add a little bit of a, of a role there. But I think from a fan perspective, it would have been really great if the Bills would have used that second-round pick not on the running back position where they had two different day three, day two picks that they'd used in recent years on that and instead went somewhere else. Um, Brian Robinson was another guy that I highlighted last week uh, over Antonio Gibson. Now he's starting the game. He looks like the starter there. He can kind of do it all. I don't think he's going to take the McKissick role um, as far as the receiving role there, but he is definitely someone who can do it all. Um, one last player I think needs to be highlighted here from what we saw in the preseason is Tyrion Davis price TDP with the San Francisco 49ers he had a good game he broke some tackles um, but he didn't play much early on despite the fact that Elijah Mitchell's not playing others are not playing and 
I think he hurt his chances a little bit with an awful uh, fourth and one run attempt. That was his one first quarter rush attempt that he had. And again, I'm not saying he's bad because he has a bad rush attempt. I'm more trying to game theory what coaches are going to think about these guys. And they brought him in for fourth and one. And rather than putting his head down and digging in, he tried to bounce it outside and got tackled. And there's nothing that coaches hate more when it comes to running backs than running backs, especially on fourth in less than one, who try to bounce it outside rather than just dig and jump forward and you know lower the head and try to pick up that yard. So I don't know if that's going to affect him going forward. We'll see if it does. But that backfield could just be a mess. And I guess it, it, it sends me a little bit further off of uh, Davis Price than I would have been in the past though I thought that he did run well and he, and he looked pretty good uh, in that game. All right, let's turn over to wide receivers, but really quickly, before we talk wide receivers real fast, I want to tell you about college football is back for DraftKings. Time to enjoy the tradition, the fun, the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. $200 in free bets instantly if you bet just $5 on any team. If that's not big enough action, you can also place same game, same game parlays for a shot at an even bigger payout. Combine multiple bets, which team to score first, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 and over in most eligible states. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. One per new customer, minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as eight $25 free bets. All right, that was a mouthful. All right, let's get into wide receivers. Josh Palmer is probably the first guy I want to highlight here. 91 grade in his second week. No Keenan Allen, no Mike Williams in this game. Playing early, playing often. He had five targets and only 12 routes. Ended up three of 75. I'm not going to say he played impressively well, but again, you're putting up numbers, which not only puts him in that contingent role, where if... Allen or Williams is injured, he'll be in there, but gives him a little bit, of hopefully, of an inside track on being the wide receiver three there, even though he doesn't fill an important niche that Jalen Guyton might feel a little bit better going down the field. I still think it's important that he plays well in the preseason because of how variable his role can be this year. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Palmer, at least not bad when he played there. So he, he did not discourage coaches, I feel like, for, from his uh, his role and what he should be doing going forward into the regular season. Uh, Chase Claypool, this may be, this is more like a confirmation of what we were hearing during the, um, during the training, during training camp, was that Claypool is playing the quote-unquote big slot position. And he did exactly that in this preseason game where he was playing with the starters. So in three wide sets, it was Deontay Johnson on the outside, uh, George Pickens on the outside, Claypool in the, in the slot. 
10 out of his 12 routes that he ran, he was uh, playing in a three-wide set. All 10 of those routes were run from the slot. Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good for Claypool. Get those easy layup targets. He did get a couple of catches and put up, you know, 50-something yards in not that much time played. He had a good contested catch down the field. He had another one where he set up down the field and was able to just receive the ball for a pretty easy catch. And I think with Pickett, too, you know, he's someone who's going to get rid of the ball quickly. So Deontay Johnson showed pretty well that he can play on the outside. I mean, he got open for some catches from Kenny Pickett. So Pickett's going to get rid of the ball quickly. He's not necessarily going to be someone who's going to stretch the field. I think Claypool has a higher upside here where he doesn't have to be just the down the field, high A dot sort of guy that just wasn't going to happen with Ben Roethlisberger last season. Now he can really play more in the middle, uh, the short to intermediate parts of the field, and that could be extremely profitable for him as far as his production is concerned, and then also in fantasy football. Uh, Nico Collins, we got to talk about Nico Collins. There's a little bit, a lot of puff about what Collins was doing during training camp. I think Davis Mills said something to the effect of he was unstoppable or he couldn't be stopped or or could do whatever he wanted during training camp. I mean, we, of course, as smart observers, discount uh, talk like that. But Collins played on 20 of 22 Davis Mills pass attempts. He was in the game. He ran uh, 17 routes because there were some screen passes there. He had seven. He had six targets on 17 routes for four catches and 48 yards. All four catches were for first downs. So Brandon Cooks isn't playing. There's that. So we don't want to you know, get too crazy about what can happen. Can Davis Mills support multiple receivers? I don't know. But let's remember, Cooks has had a lot of injury issues. Unfortunately, he's had concussion issues in the past. And Collins was that big-bodied sort of guy who seems to be more of a possession receiver and someone who can go down the field. Uh, big upside for him as an every-down type of player. And I know he's not necessarily on a lot of people's radar after being a day-two pick last year. Uh, Romeo Dobbs. I guess Dobbs is the way you go with his last name, despite the fact that every single highlight film you watch of the guy, it was Romeo Dubs last year. Now it's Dobbs. We're, we're, we're being correct with his name here. Um, seven targets on 16 routes. Did have two drops, some nice catches. You know, more more steady drum beat for Dobbs here. Um, it's, it's a little bit weird, though, in Green Bay, because I was thinking about this in the context of how much you can rely on any of these receivers. There's this weird dynamic of, they're not being anyone who's high end, but at the same time, it could just end up being a mess all over the place. And you have Lazard, you have Randall Cobb, who are trusted. You have Robert Tunyon, who's pretty trusted. And then you're going to fill in around there, whether it's Dobbs, whether it's Christian uh, Watson, who's totally under the radar right now, some guy who's been injured, although they traded up with extreme amount of draft capital to go get him in the early second round. They have all these different guys. I still like... Romeo Dobbs, but maybe slow your our role a little bit on getting too high on him. Um, David Bell could lock himself into the wide receiver three role for the Browns. I know there's not a lot going on there, but with Jacoby Brissett and everything else, but he was already playing well. He's already targeted a couple of times. He's another guy who's been under the radar because he hasn't been playing, but he has a good chance of being a significant part there. And the wide receiver two is Donovan Peoples-Jones. So it's not like he can't overtake that and get into that wide receiver two role. Uh, David Bell looking up again, someone's been under the radar, but you might want to be interested in him now before too many people are all over it. 
Hey, let's talk Traylon Burks. Oh my God. Just a trail of tears for, for any of us in on Traylon Burks Island here for what's going on. 19 routes in this one. Remember he was only targeted one time in the 20 routes in his first game. So second game, 19 routes, three targets, one catch for four yards. Not good. Um, Mike Vrabel had some talk after the game about Burks needing to work on his routes, needing to work on his conditioning. Again, not good. Although, you know, Vrabel's kind of a curmudgeon, so we don't want to get into it too much. The problem, I think, I think Burks has been bad, and everyone is kind of leaning into his, his badness. He's a first-round pick, though, so I still think he's going to get a decent amount of play this year. But the one thing I'll say in his defense, and maybe this is confirmation bias for the fact that I like Burks going into the draft. Um, but it's really hard to evaluate anyone with Malik Willis playing quarterback. I talked about before the fact that he's holding the ball on average four plus seconds on every drop back. He is sacked or scrambling on about 32, 33% of his drop back. So there's no, there's no attempt. You're running a route, but there's no ability to even get a target in those circumstances. When Willis is holding the balls for so long, there's no timing to the routes in the offense. And when he ends up actually throwing the ball. So it makes it extremely difficult for any receiver to be efficient when on a routes run basis, when a third of the routes are off of the board of even there being a pass attempt, the rest of them, it's very inefficient when, when he is passing the ball, all of that together makes it really, really hard for Burks and the other receivers there. It's not like the other receivers are lighting it up for the Titans also. And then Logan Woodside has had one of the worst efficiencies when he's come in. So I do think there is that caveat for Burks. If you're concerned about how he's been playing, if you're concerned about whether a play early, I think those are good concerns to have because of where he's been on the depth chart. If you're concerned that he is just not good because of what we've seen, eh, I'd be less concerned about that. We have a much larger sample in college and Willis and Woodside have been a uniquely awful combination for any wide receiver to deal with so far in the preseason in terms of seeing targets on schedule, seeing targets delivered accurately, seeing catchable balls and moving down the field. The offense just hasn't been there. I mean, Willis completed some passes, but he was holding the ball an awfully long time, even on the circumstances where he was completing passes down the field, like the touchdown that he ended up throwing. Uh, One other concern for Burks, and I mentioned this last week, is he is kind of just aimlessly running down the field on a lot of these routes. They're not exactly setting him up with a lot of gimme sort of routes underneath. So he could end up functioning more of a distraction slash decoy on some of this stuff than he has in the past. But hey, we'll 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 hope for better for Burks going forward. Concern level, I would say, is about a five, five out of ten right now. Uh, concern level for his role, more like a seven out of ten. But I think it'll end up coming back later on in the season. Concern role for talent is maybe two, two out of ten. Not that high for for, for Burks. And tight ends, I mean, we got to talk about Isaiah Likely. Um, some, some good numbers put together here by uh, Nathan Yonke here at um, PFF about everything that he's done so far this preseason. Let's go ahead and bring that up. Um, you can see that – oh, whoops, I got the wrong thing here. You can see that his – 
His um his numbers so far this season. Again, preseason, it's two games. You don't want to get too far into all of this stuff. I get it. But so far this preseason, he has 29 routes run, 12 targets, 12 receptions, 144 yards, 71 yards after the catch, 62 yards after contact, so almost all of it, uh, a touchdown, nine first downs on 12 receptions, so moving those chains, four contested catches, Seven tackles avoided, three explosive plays, so plays of 20 or more yards, or 15 or more yards. Um, 4.97 yards per route run. Cooper Cup led the NFL last year with 3.0 yards per route run and 41.4% threat rate. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know what a threat rate is, but that sounds good. Um, So all of this is going on for Isaiah Likely, the fourth round pick. Does this mean he's going to replace Mark Andrews? No, he's not going to replace Mark Andrews. He's not necessarily going to be a huge contributor right here, but we can't ignore this. Um, one, again, I'm going to caveat a lot of things. One caveat here is he's playing with Tyler Huntley. And if you look last season, Huntley loves tight ends, even more than Lamar Jackson. Some of Mark Andrews' best games last season, the reason that Mark Andrews was such a fantasy force last season were some big, big games from Tyler Huntley seeing the ball. So he does like this a bit. But I was trying to think of comps for Isaiah Likely as a 245-pound guy. He ran a 4.78 or something like that at his pro day, so he's not a fast guy. He wasn't particularly quick in his three-cone. I think it was 7.1-something. So, okay, three-cone time. And so as a smaller guy who doesn't necessarily stretch the field but had really good moves underneath, the way he moves around, the way he gets open, the way he's getting confidence in him reminds me of Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed was the name that came to mind as a guy who was a little bit smaller than likely. He was more in the high two thirties as opposed to the mid two forties, but similar slower guy, not a field stretcher underneath guy using quickness to get open. He reminds me of that type of player. And Reed could have been a really big deal if he didn't have the concussion problems that he had. And then he had other injury problems, obviously going off. Uh, Reed, a former third round pick, likely he's a fourth round pick. He'd be probably be my like upside comp for what likely can do. And the ability to use him in two tight end sets. And because he's smaller than Andrews, it could have some effect on Andrews production also this year, which I think will be better for the team, but not going to be better necessarily for uh, our fantasy football guys out there who are taking Mark Andrews in the second or third round of drafts right now. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the stats and the numbers. I'm coming from preseason week two. I'll do the same thing next Monday for week three. And I'll also come at you later this week with the news and notes for everything that's going on during the week. Maybe even line up an interview, although it's a little bit last second to try to grab some people as I'm doing it, but more likely just the news and notes from the week. Um, I appreciate reviews that everyone's been leaving on the pod. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, Go ahead and And do that if you can. Go ahead and leave a positive review if you feel appropriate. And otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone later this week. Thanks so much, everybody.